Psalm 136, Psalm 136. And the message tonight is God's mercy endures forever. God's mercy endures forever. Now this psalm was most likely written by David and given to the Levites to sing every day. First Chronicles 16.41 reads, and, and with them Haman and Jejuthun and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. We also read in Second Chronicles 7, verse 3 and 6, Solomon, his son, David's son, followed his son's example and made use of them, the Levites, in singing at the dedication of the temple. Solomon said, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good and, and his mercy endures forever. And the priests attended to their services, the Levites also with instruments of music to the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, for his mercy endures forever. And whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them while all Israel stood. As Jehoshaphat seems to have done when he went out to war against his enemies. In 2 Chronicles 20, 21, we read, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So the subject of this psalm is a lot like the one before. It's an, its arrangement is very unique because half of every verse says, for his mercy endures forever. This is the theme of the song, and it's intended to show that all blessings of every kind flow from the grace, goodness, and mercy of God, which is constant and never-ending. And it was used to impress a sense of a sense of this God's mercy uh, upon the minds of the people. So the theme of the psalm is the never-ending story of God's love or mercy. And God deserves our praise because his everlasting love never fails. The author, we're not sure who it is. We don't know who it is. And we, re and we read, repeated, all through this psalm, the phrase, his mercy endures forever. And this psalm may, seem, uh, may have been a responsive reading. And that is that the, or the congregation would say these words, his mercy endures forever together after each sentence. So this evening, I'm going to have you participate in this evening's time. When we read the verses, when I read the first part of the verse, your response will be his mercy endures forever. Every verse in this psalm mentions God's mercy. And it makes a lot of sense because you see our whole life, involves God's mercy in every way. Our whole life is dependent upon God's mercy. And this psalm praises God's mercy. In Ephesians 2.4, Paul says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God's mercy is rich. It's overflowing. It's unlimited. It's infinite. Because he was rich in mercy toward us, and had great love for us, he gives us a way to return to him. 
And even though he was greatly offended and sinned against because of his rich mercy and his great love for God, for, uh, for us, God offered forgiveness and reconciliation to us like he does every single sinner who repents. Even though in their sin and rebellion, all men took part in the wickedness of Jesus' crucifixion, God's mercy and love gave a way for them to participate in the righteousness of his crucifixion. You know, Jesus says, I know what you are. I know what you've done. I want and I need mercy from God. We all do. And he has all the mercy that I need and even more. And sometimes people think that because of what they were in the old life, remember we talked about that this morning, or what they did in their old life, you know, speaking of their sin, they think that God won't forgive them, that they can't go to God. But he's rich in mercy, and all you have to do is go to him. You don't have to be afraid of God if you're coming honestly to him and seeking forgiveness and sincerity. If you really want forgiveness, he'll give it to you. And he deals with us according to his mercy, thank God, not according to what we deserve or none of us would be sitting here. This is praise to God, the creator. And this is why every verse says his mercy endures forever. And by repeating this phrase over and over again, it helped this important lesson and truth to sink in. God's love includes kindness, mercy, and faithfulness. We never have to worry about God running out of love because, you see, that love comes from a source that will never run out. So this psalm is a celebration of God's mercy. So let's look at our Bibles now, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9, as I said. And as I read the first part, I guess you won't need your Bibles really to to repeat it because it's the same with every verse, but it would be nice if you look at it and see it out. But let's begin with verse 1 through 9. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, you guys catch on quick. Awesome. Verse 2. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and the stars to rule by night. Excellent. The word mercy means kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love, acts of kindness. And what we're called to do again and again as a duty is to thank the Lord and to offer him the sacrifice or offering of praise continually. Not the works of our hands, but the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The sacrifices of our lips today would be thanking Jesus for his sacrifice on the cross. And telling others about what he did for us. 
doing acts of kindness and sharing with others is especially pleasing to God. Even when nobody sees you. Now notice here in verse 1, who must we give thanks to? The Lord. Why? Because it's from the Lord that we receive all good things. From the Lord Jehovah, Israel's God, verse says. And verse 2, from the God of gods. The God that angels worship. The God that judges. Who are like gods. Get their power from. The one that all imitation gods are and will be defeated by. We must give thanks to the Lord of Lords, verse 3 says. The sovereign of all sovereigns. The one who upholds all things. In all of our worship and praise, we must remember God's outstanding, priceless character. His power. And his authority are absolutely above any others. Secondly, what must we celebrate him for? What must we give thanks for? Not like the Pharisees that made all of his thanksgivings in his own praise. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like this guy. But giving all of our praise to God's glory. We must also thank God to to give thanks to God for his goodness and mercy, verse 1 says. Give thanks to the Lord. Not just because he does good things, but because he is good. And that's why he does good things, because he's naturally good. Everything good is traced back to God. Not just because he's merciful to us, but because his mercy endures forever, and he'll give it to those that will come after us. We're gone. We have to thank God, not just for that mercy that he gives us now here on earth, but also for that mercy that will endure forever in the glory and the joys of heaven when we get there. We must also give thanks to God for the times of his power and wisdom in general. And in general, we read in verse 4, To him who alone does great wonders, God all by himself does great wonders. His plan is wonderful. His design is all planned out by his infinite wisdom. The work that God does is wonderful, being put into action by his infinite power. God alone does great wonders, wonderful things. And there's nobody else that can do the things that God does. And God does them without any effort. God does them without even breaking a sweat. Without any outside help. No committees, no advisors to help him. No one. And more exactly, the psalmist says, notice verse 5, he made the heavens. And he stretched them out. And in the heavens, we not only see his wisdom and power... But we experience his mercy in their gracious effect, how they affect us. As long as the heavens continue, we will see the mercy of God in those things. Verse 6 says, he laid out the earth above the waters. When he caused the dry land to appear so that it would be a good environment for man to live in. In doing that, his mercy to man also still, still endures. Because he's given the earth and all that it produces for mankind. 
God said in Genesis 1.29, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. When God created Adam and Eve, I mean, he placed them in the most beautiful environment. Everything was there that would meet their need for all their life. And there was nothing there that would harm them. All they had to do was follow God's instructions. All they had to do was obey God. He made both heaven and earth, it says here. He set up up a kind of communication between heaven and earth. And even though they were so far apart from each other, by making the sun and the moon and the stars which he placed in the huge vastness of heaven to shine their light and affect it on earth. That's how there was kind of a communication between heaven and earth. These are called the great lights. Genesis 1.16, it says, Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. They're said to rule, not only because they govern the seasons of the year, but because they are useful to the world. But their rule is divided. One rules by day, the other rules by night. And yet, they're all subject to God's direction and His disposal. They're all under God's command. They don't do anything unless God, you know, wills it, commands it. So those rulers that the Gentiles worshipped are the world's servants. God's subjects. Though the Gentiles worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars, they were God's subjects. God even ordered one time the sun to stand still in Joshua chapter 10, verse uh, verse 12. Now I'm going to read verses 10 through 22, so you guys go ahead and, and repeat the second part, beginning with verse 10. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn and brought out Israel from among them, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea to him who led his people through the wilderness to him who struck down great kings And slew famous kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. The great things. Listen, this is the great things that God did for Israel. I mean, they were so mind-blowing. They were so amazing. When he first made the Israelites or the Jews uh, into a people and set up his kingdom among them, he mentions it here like he often does in other Psalms as examples of his power and of the special kindness that he had for Israel. In verses 10 through 12, it talks about how he brought them out of Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt. That was mercy on God's part. 
That was a mercy that they were given for a long time. And our redemption by Christ is symbolized by that. And it does definitely endure forever because it's an eternal redemption. The children of Israel, God redeemed them. He, got a, he sent a deliverer, Moses, to bring them out of the bondage of Egypt, just like God sent our deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver us from the bondage of sin for all eternity for those who come to him. And of all the plagues that God brought upon Egypt through Moses, none are mentioned here except for the death of Egypt's firstborn males. Because you see, that was the the plague that did them in. That was the death blow by God. It was the last plague that separated the Israelites from the Egyptians. It singled them out from being the last among them. It wasn't by a trick. But it was done with a strong hand and an outstretched arm that reaches far. And it does great things. God, you know, we are never so far out of God's, out of God's reach that he can't reach, reach down and touch us. That he can't pull us out of some pit. In Exodus 6, 6, it says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. These miracles of mercy that Moses brought upon Egypt prove that Moses was called by God to give the law to Israel. So the law put Israel under a long-term responsibility to obey that law. Verse 13, the psalmist says, He made a way for them through the Red Sea. When they got to the Red Sea, when the children of Israel got to the Red Sea, they were boxed in. They were boxed in when they got there. There were, there were mountains on the left and on the right. The water was in front of them. The enemy was behind them. What do we do? What do we do? We're boxed in. Did God, you know, and a lot of times we feel boxed in when we're going through a trial or a, or a problem in life. It looks like there's no way out. God, did you just bring me here to, to, to die? Did you just bring me here to fail? But by the power of God, who has the, the control of the everyday things in our life and, 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 and nature as well, God divided the sea in two. And he opened it up and he made a path and made Israel pass through it. And now they were to enter into a covenant with him. Not only did God divide the Red Sea, but he gave his people the courage to go through it when it was divided. Which was an example of God's power over men's hearts. Over their fears and their doubts. Just like his power over the waters. And then he made the miracle of the Red Sea. It was a miracle of judgment as well as a miracle of his mercy. Because you see the same Red Sea that was divided. Making a pathway for the Israelites to go through for Israel's enemies, it became a grave. Those who were chasing them. And there in the Red Sea, God defeated the Pharaoh and his army. He led them through a terribly dangerous wilderness, verse 16 said. And he led them and he fed them for 40 years. 
think of that. He led them, fed them, and clothed them for 40 years. Their camp was supplied with food and strengthened by a constant series of miracles for 40 years. Even though they complained a lot and murmured a lot and wasted a lot of time and wandered around in the wilderness, they weren't lost. From Egypt to Canaan was only an 11-day journey. But it took them 40 years to get there because of the disobedience to God. That's what happens when we disobey God. We waste time. We waste so much time. God wants to take us to the place that he wants us to be. But when we complain and murmur and we don't like the way he's taking us and and we want to go our way and do our thing, God says, okay, let me know when you're tired of wandering around and I'll get you there. 40 years when it could have only taken 11 days. Deuteronomy 29.5, God says, And I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. And even through this wilderness experience, the mercy of God and the dependability of God's mercy was even more obvious because so many times the children of Israel provoked God in the wilderness and they grieved God in the desert. But you know what? (laughs) He didn't wipe them out. He told Moses one time, hey, man, why don't you, let's you and I start over. We'll just, I'll just wipe these guys out, and you and I will start over. Thank God Moses was a praying man, and, um, and, and, and you know, he prayed for the children of Israel. Verses 17 through 18, the psalmist says that God destroyed kings right in front of them to make room for them. In other words, God didn't just overthrow kings and chase them away to some other place, but God struck them severely and he killed them, showing his wrath against them, but his mercy and his never failing mercy was shown to Israel. Now, what made this such a big deal and so impressive was that these kings were great kings. They weren't lightweights, they were famous kings, they were powerful kings. And yet God took them out so easily. He took them out as if they were a bunch of powerless weaklings and nobodies. They were wicked kings, great kings, wealthy kings. But none of their greatness, none of their wealth, none of their power could guarantee their protection from God's judgment. Hey, the more famous and great they were, the greater God's mercy stood out to Israel. You know, the, 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 the greater the deliverance that we have from God sometimes, I mean, it shows, it shows his greatness. It makes his greatness stand out even more than ever. Sion and Gog, they're mentioned here. They're specifically mentioned because they were the first two that were conquered, according to verses 19 through 20. And it's good for us to see this. God's special treatment and to study each case and admit that God's mercy endures forever. And then in verses 21 through 22, the psalmist says that he gave them good land. God God didn't just give them a, a, a dried up weed patch and say, hey, here's your land. God owns the whole earth. 
And he owns everything that's in it. And the world and those that live in the world. God took his children from the land, made them one people and gave it, took it from one people and then gave it to another, his people, as it pleased them. The Bible says God does as he pleases. God took the land from one people and he gave it to another people, his people. The wickedness of the Amorites had reached its limits and that's why God took it away from them. The land was taken from them because, again, they had reached the limits of their wickedness. Israel was his servant. And even though they had, you know, complained and provoked God in the wilderness, yet he intended to get some service out of them. Why? They were chosen to serve God. As God said to the Egyptians, hey, let my people go. He said to the Canaanites, let my people in so they can serve me. And in this, we see that God's mercy to his people endures forever. Because you see, it was a figure of the heavenly Canaan, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. All right, let's read again now, verses 23 through 26. Who remembered us in our lowly state and rescued us from our enemies. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. God's everlasting mercy now is celebrated here. Verses 23 through 24. In the many deliverances that God did for the Jewish church from the hands of their oppressors. He delivered them. In the years that they were in bondage, they were in a very weakened condition. But see, God saw them and he sees us when we're weak and he sees us when we're struggling and he sees us when he's down and out. And he remembered them just like he remembered us. And he raised up saviors for them just like he raised up savior, a savior for us. He raised up the judges for them. He raised up David for them. And eventually, through these people, God gave them rest from all of their enemies. As Jesus Christ has given us rest. From all of our enemies and the greatest enemy, death. And the Lord said in Exodus 3, 7 and 8, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And you see that? He hears your cry, church. He knows your sorrows. There's nothing in your life that God isn't aware of but especially in the wonderful redemption of God's church. Of which these deliverances that we read about here in Psalm 136, they were types. Types of God's deliverances in the church. We have a good reason to say that he remembered us, even though we were fallen in our sad condition and lost state. And because his mercy endures forever, he sent his son to redeem us from sin and death and hell and all of our spiritual enemies for the very reason that his mercy endures forever. He was sent to redeem us from our sins because his mercy endures forever. And then in verse 25, we see the provision that he makes for all the creatures. All the creatures. What does it say? It says he gives food to all flesh. This is an example of God's mercy 
That is his providence that wherever he has given life, he gives food to that life. He gives food that's pleasing and sufficient. It shows us that God is a good provider because he's able to provide for such a huge family. All creatures, big and small. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. For they they neither sow nor reap. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I love that because, you know, how many times have you gone to McDonald's or wherever you go to eat and you throw in the little sparrows, french fries, or pieces of hamburger bun? They know. God takes care of them. In In the simplest of ways. And in all his glories and in all his gifts, gives thank, give thanks to the God of heaven, verse 26 says. You see, because this makes him known to others. This makes him known to be a wonderful God. And we need to let people know we serve a wonderful master. And we need to let them know about the glory of his mercy. Notice is to be noticed in our praises. The riches of his glory are displayed in the vessels, that is, our bodies of his mercy. These are the bodies of his mercy, you and I. These vessels, not made with hands. We're to praise him with these vessels. Romans 9.23, Paul said that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which we are vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called. It also makes him known to be the great gift giver. Because as James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, the God of heaven. In closing, mercies here and there that aren't from God, they might endure for a while, but the mercy that God gives, it endures forever. Because you see, he's an infinite source of mercy, and he has a never-ending supply of mercy. And we can go to him. At any time, day or night, with any problem, if we go honestly and sincerely, and God will be there. It's better to fall upon the mercy of God than the judgment of God fall upon us. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful psalm, Lord. We thank you for your wonderful people, Lord. We thank you for your your goodness to us, Lord. You are a wonderful God. And Father, may we share our praises with others, Lord, that they may know we serve a great master, a kind and wonderful master, Lord. And that nobody will be in heaven that didn't want to be there. And so, Lord, may we just surrender our hearts to you, God. May our eyes be upon you. Lord, may you be glorified in these vessels of mercy, Lord. Bless your people, Lord, as they go home. Watch over them. Take care of them, Lord. Bless their week. Have your hand upon them, Lord. 
And Father, I thank you for all the, the, the people that came today in spite of the heat, Lord. I thank you for the worship teams today, this morning and this evening. I thank you for the, the technical people that were here setting up the canopies and the, and the cameras and the sound and the, all of that, God. In spite of the heat, God. I know they did it because they love you and they came because they love you, God. And may we continue to have that love for you, God, night and day. Regardless of, regardless of our situations in life. That we might give you glory and honor, God, that you are due. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Next Wednesday, we'll be back in our study in Job. We'll be in Job 15.